Let's open our Bibles. Let's go over to the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14, and talk about something that I read in 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, concerning communion. It says, we show the Lord's death till he come. I've titled this message, When He Returns. The text from John 14, beginning at verse 1, says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. We'll stop there at verse 4 in John chapter 14 and talk today about when he returns. I know that most, if not all of you here, are familiar with the story of General MacArthur in the Second World War. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the tremendous losses that were sustained by the United States, half the aircraft weren't even off the ground that were destroyed, and ships and lives and so on. And the situation became so desperate, as he was the commander there in the South Pacific, and dangerous for him, that he had to take his aides and his wife and his family and went over to Corregidor, then from Corregidor over to Australia. And when he landed on Australia, he's made this statement that we all know. He said, I have pushed through, I shall return. Two years later in October, he showed up there wading through the water. Again, most of you have seen these pictures, I'm sure, of MacArthur landing at Leyte and saying, I have returned. Well, MacArthur was only a man, but he had the tenacity to make a statement, I will return. This is temporary. I'm coming back. I'm coming again. And he did. If a man can make a statement, I shall return. I'm going away for a brief period of time. And in his case, it was expedient because his own life and AIDS and so on, wife, children. Then how much more the son of God who said, I will come again. I shall return. How much more? The Son of God will return because he said he would. And this is, among other things that we cover here, taking them directly from the Bible, this is a fundamental truth of Christianity. I will come again. Unlike MacArthur, he's not coming to simply win a temporary war. He's coming to finalize everything that he did not only on Calvary and during his ministry here on earth, but from the book of Genesis, to finalize it all. And I want to remind you, when we look toward the future, and I say this to you again because all of us really have this tendency to be looking at the times we live in and uh, what's coming on the earth, the ones that aren't good and pleasant, that are recorded in the book. We don't look far enough. You know, those things are going to happen. They're happening now. But we have to look at the period of time when Jesus comes to restore and fulfills the scripture, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Now, the earth is not going to be destroyed similarly to how it was destroyed by God in the flood of Noah. But even then, the planet still existed. And the planet Earth will never stop existing. But God is going to renew the face of the earth. 
And that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. If you think properly, it is a very hopeful and optimistic view based on what Jesus said. I will come again. However, we also know that when Christ comes again, he's coming to judge both the living and the dead. We'll read that scripture in a few minutes. It's a time in which we need to be prepared. And I'm sure that you've heard this before, but if Christ was to come today, I don't mean the second coming, but I mean, if he were to come today in what we know as the rapture, I may not be able to explain all these things to you in this message, so I stay focused on one thing. But if he were to come today for the church, or if today was the day that he comes for you, where would you want to be found? And in what state would you want to be found in? And what would you like to be doing? And so on. We need to live as though this is our last day on earth. And see, this is how we think, even without saying it out loud. Intuitively, we think, well, my chances of dying today are not very good. And that's true for most of us here. That's true. But there's no guarantee. And we must think in terms of, if this were my last day on earth, how should I be living? What should I be doing, not doing? You see, this is the spirit of anticipation that we actually believe that when Jesus said, I will come again, that he actually will come again. Imagine this. Between now and next Sunday, our next service was with the entire body of Christ in the heavens within the span of the coming week, next week. Imagine the celebration. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Well, whether that happens in the next week or so, only God knows. But we have to live as though that's how it's going to play out. And listen, if you did, you'd be worried about a whole lot less. It's not that you would be putting away all of your concerns because obviously problems deserve and require our attention. But unfortunately, they occupy too much time. I've said to you over the years, and I want to say it again, forward your life a hundred years. Well, there's nobody on the planet, with very few exceptions, will even be alive. But for the great majority of us, we don't have to forward it a hundred years, 10 years, 20. And think of your life and the things that you're doing from day to day in that perspective. You're going to die, unless Christ comes first for the church, but you're going to die. And you must know that. You must know that you're going to die, and when you die, you're going to meet Jesus and give an account for your life. That's why I accent the importance of not only reading Matthew chapter 24, of which we're going to read some of it in just a moment, but Matthew 25. Talents and gifts given to you by God. And he says, I want to return on my gifts and talents. And you cannot say, you should not say, oh, Pastor, I don't have any gifts and talents because that makes God a liar. He says, no, I have given you gifts and talents and I want that invested in the kingdom. For example, I play a couple of instruments and I sing. So I employ and have for years trying to do more of it, that gift and talent. And why? In a busy life like my wife and I lead, it doesn't really matter because in my mind, I keep reminding myself, you're going to give an account for just one talent of my life. I have others. So I have to figure out how can I compartmentalize my day so that music, singing is getting accomplished and intellectual studies and study of the Bible, of course, and prayer and all these things. I've got to schedule my life because I know and I've always known I'm going to give an account to Jesus. You see, 
It's the absence of good theology and the promotion of bad theology that makes the unthinking, professing Christian say to themselves, hey, Jesus is coming. That's good. But how are you responding to that which you profess that you believe, knowing that you will give an account for your life? Now, if you're confused, as a Christian, let me help you out. Being saved and giving an account to Jesus for your life are not the same thing. And I have shared this with you before. It is very superficial, at minimum, to say, well, what's the difference if I lose a few rewards, at least I'm in heaven? That is not only superficial thinking, it's incorrect thinking. You don't want to stand before Jesus and say, oh, I've got one talent or two. I buried it. Lord, I was so busy. I say this to you. I'm sharing with you how I think. I know that no excuse that I offer to Jesus will be acceptable. Well, I'm just passing that on to you. I told you I was slated to schedule a pleasure trip for two days. I haven't had a vacation in two years. But when I began to see all the energy I would have had to put into this, and we had a lot of needs here in the church, we always have needs in the church every day, I said, I can't justify this. By the time I reach this pulpit, which would have been this morning, I'll be exhausted. So I put my calling before my leisure, before my pleasure, before an outing, because that's the right thing to do. Duty always comes first. You know from being in the military that the mission is always first. I put the mission first, always. And I'm not unhappy that I do. In any case, I know that I'm going to give a report to Jesus. I also know that what I'm doing here is the most important thing in the world. Where an individual will spend eternity and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the invitation to be saved, as we'll read this verse later, from the wrath to come, is the most important thing. So I can't put anything else before that. I have a calling on my life, but you have a calling on your life. Not to be a pastor, not to be a preacher from a pulpit, but you have a calling on your life determined by what gift, singular, or gifts, plural, God has given to you and what you're doing with them. You must employ them for use in the kingdom of God and for the promulgation of the kingdom of God. Now, are you doing it? When he returns, read it in Matthew 25. I really would exhort you to read that chapter frequently until it's ingrained in your head that when the master of the house comes, the parables that Jesus gives in Matthew 25, he takes account of his servants. You say, you're a servant of God. I don't doubt it. But you realize you have to give an account to the one who gave you the gifts and talents to serve him. We call him master, right? We call him Lord. But that same master and Lord is going to come and say, now what did you do with music? What did you do with your singing voice? What did you do with your intellect? What did you do with your gift for memory? What did you do with your hands? Because you're mechanically inclined. And we go on and on and on and on. And if you have ten talents, eight won't cut it. Because to whom much is given, much is required. At least I'll speak for myself. I can't permit myself to go around complaining how hard my life is and all I've got to do. I've done a fair share of that, I'm ashamed to say. But now I say, no, I can't do that. I won't do that. There's a calling on my life, and if it means certain things that I'd like to do has to fall by the wayside, then so be it. Because I must give an account to Jesus when he returns for me. And so will you. So I ask you the question, knowing and believing that Christ will return knowing that the odds are probably slim that you'll see him today, but they still exist. How are you living? Prayer life. 
Just study the Bible. God never asked you to be a Bible scholar, but to read the word and to be exhorted by the Holy Spirit. How, how about this one here? Fellowship with other Christians. You know, we don't see that sometimes as something that's so important, but it is. We're told so in the scriptures. Well, there's a lot of things to consider, more than I can cover here. When he returns, where will you be? What will you be doing? What will be the priorities of your life? That's the question. Now, in 1979, Bob Dylan made a profession of faith in Christ. In my own view, he wrote some of the most prescient songs in many, many decades, as Dylan is noted to do by his gifts and talents. Slow Train Coming, I've given you some lyrics from some of those songs. It's still one of my favorite albums to listen to. Not so much because I was a fan of Bob Dylan musically, but because the words are deep. One of the songs on that album, I'd like to read you the lyrics. The title of the song is the title of my message, When He Returns. And in 1979, Bob Dylan wrote these words. The iron hand, it ain't no match for the iron rod. The strongest wall will crumble and fall to a mighty God. For all those who have eyes and all those who have ears is only he who can reduce me to tears. Don't you cry and don't you die and don't you burn. This is Bob Dylan. Like a thief in the night, he'll replace wrong with right when he returns. Truth is an arrow and the gate is narrow that it passes through. He released his power at an unknown hour that no one knew. How long can I listen to the lies of prejudice? How long can I stay drunk on fear out in the wilderness? Can I cast it aside, all this loyalty and this pride? Will I ever learn that there'll be no peace, that the war won't cease until he returns? Surrender your crown on this blood-stained ground. Take off your mask. He sees your deeds. He knows your needs even before you ask. How long can you falsify and deny what is real? How long can you hate yourself for the weakness you conceal? Of every earthly plan that be known to man, and I like these words, of every earthly plan that be known to man, he is unconcerned. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns. Prescient words written in 1979 on the album Slow Train Coming. All of the songs, for me, have some great depth to them. And so we have these words here where Dylan is grabbing from various parts of the Bible and sticking them together in this little song. But there's thought here. The strongest wall will crumble and fall when he returns. And that last line that I just mentioned to you that I really enjoy. Of all the plans that are known to man, he's unconcerned. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns. That's what we have to look forward to. Let me say something here. I have short-term goals, meaning goals for this life. Some that perhaps in some people's view would have no relationship to being spiritual, like my goals for health and physical fitness. But in my mind, they do. Let me share with you an example. I figured if I'm not alive, I can't preach. That just makes sense to me. I figure if something, God forbid, should happen to my health and I can't speak or whatever, and I can't preach. So in my mind, I look at my life from a synesthesia pulling together of my gifts and talents and other things 
for one purpose, meaning that even my short-term goals are lined up with eternity, though they may not seem so to other people. I suggest that you begin to plan your life. And I do think, by the way, if I may say so, if you like, you know, gardening, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. You see, because we need a break from the stress. I don't know that we can totally, I, I like cutting my grass. And I like, you know, keeping up on things that are certainly temporal. It still has some value. But if you're going to spend all day in your garden, every day, every day, every day, every day, and we used to have a habit around here in this part of the country, people would, I mean, quite a few people, would shake my hand and say, well, see you at the end of the summer, Pastor. So where are you going? Well, we have a camp. Now, the camp that we're talking about here is in Lake Sacandaga. And Lake Sacandaga, in case you're not aware, is not that far away. Now, for those who are on the lake and they go to a local church up there, that's fine. But you mean you're going away to a lake I could hit with a stone from my house, and that's it for the summer? In my view, that's not a good way to plan your life. Now, more than ever, we need to be in the Word. My job is to prepare a message for you. It takes me all week long. In essence, it's taking me my whole life long to preach the Word of God. Just an example of taking all of your life and all of your goals and lining them up with eternity. That includes your rest. It includes getting a good night's sleep and your diet. At least it does in my mind. Because we want to do everything, whatever our hand finds to do, the scripture says, to do it with your might. And all to the glory of God. This one may go right over your heads, I don't know, but I'll tell you what the man said. Charles Spurgeon, as you know, is called the crowned prince of preachers. Tremendous preacher. Tremendous theologian and many other things concerning his call as a pastor. He enjoyed smoking cigars. He was once challenged by an American preacher, and they actually had a debate on it. One preacher was saying why he shouldn't, and he was saying why he does. And at the end of the argument, where there was no actual agreement on smoking cigars, Spurgeon said this. He said, so therefore I will go home tonight and smoke a cigar to the glory of God. <laughs> Now, I don't know if he was serious about that or not, but tobacco is not something mentioned in the Bible as sin. I'm not advocating that you go out and start smoking. I'm just simply saying Spurgeon's view is that whatever he did, including smoking a cigar, somehow gave God the glory. And I'll go one step further. You know how we warm up our voices as singers or as speakers? He would smoke a couple of cigars before he came to church to warm up his throat. Again, I'm not saying that's a good practice. I'm just saying that's what he did. But that was his view. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. We need to consider with the evidence before us that most of us here are very aware of, the coming of Christ is closer than ever before. Every day we read in the news the signs that Jesus said to look for. Let's go through this again. In Matthew chapter 24, I want to begin at verse 1 and read a few verses that we read fairly frequently. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another. Thou shalt not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? That's one question. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? That's the second question. And of the end of the world? And that's the third question. And Jesus answers, 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. Remember we read in John 14 concerning the subject of his return. He said, Don't let your heart be troubled. So often Jesus says, You're going to see these things and hear these things. Don't let your heart be troubled. They are happening, but don't be concerned. Again, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers, which means different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax, which means grow. The love of many shall grow cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. Again, without explaining all of the details, we've gone over it before. This last verse that we read, verse 14, tells us something about the time in which we live. Many of you have in your possession right now, in your pocket, in your pocketbook, a computer. That's only this big. You can, this morning, after the service on your way home, set up an account on one of the social media channels and hit the button that says, go live, and you're preaching. You're witnessing. You can tell your story, how you were born again, quote scripture. You can read scriptures. You can do, we can do, so much more now than any other generation. But included with that is this truth. God has supplied this technology because the end is near. I'm not going to say when because I don't know. But I can say this. We got the foot on the accelerator and things are speeding up. Things are speeding up. You know that I have a separate YouTube channel for anxiety and depression. And I gave myself a break for a while for several reasons from it. And I just went back to it recently. I'd like you to watch it, by the way, and subscribe to it. But I tell the people who do watch, I'm not here to build myself up. I don't need extra work. Why then am I doing it? For those that will listen, for those that are depressed, for those that are oppressed, for those that are hurting, because that's what I was made to be. So I'm doing my duty. And I said that to say this, the gospel is now going out to the whole world. And it's going out in so many forms. The technology is given to us by God to use for the propagation of the gospel. I have once told one of my associate pastors, for us as preachers, there is no excuse to not have a well-prepared message. You can copy and paste just about anything. There is no excuse to not be prepared to come to the pulpit and preach the gospel. No one has had this technology in history before, and we have it. But to the point, that means it's coming as closer than ever. When he returns, where will you be? What will you be doing? What will be your priorities? Some of you don't make written goals. I've been making written goals for over 40 years. I amend them frequently. Say, well, I'll switch this around. I put this in, you forgot that. 
But it's always, once again, for me, with the idea that I'm going to die. I'm going to give an account to God. I'm going to give an account to Jesus for my life. And I know, as much as Jesus loves me, he's not going to accept my excuses because we have never had more opportunity to do things that we could not do in the past than we have right now. Which, once again, leads us to the conclusion, the logical conclusion, the coming of Christ is closer than ever. When he returns, as Dylan said, the strongest wall will crumble and fall to a mighty God. And as I mentioned frequently, and I want you to always think about this, among the many signs that are given to us of the return of Christ, warnings are plentiful in the New Testament. We read some here from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. And then we are told that before the Antichrist will come, which is preceding the coming of Christ when he returns, that many shall depart from the faith. And what are we seeing now, if you're alert? I mean, church after church is closing. When that's not happening, then we have church after church that's opening, none of which have anything to do with one with another, like everyone's doing their own thing. And we have all of these novelties that I've covered with you before, which is not as important to me as it is the content of the message being taught or preached by the one who's in charge, the pastor. We are hearing false teachings. I want to mention this to you again at the expense of being excessively redundant. So many messages that we hear from pulpits in America are mainly and primarily motivational speeches sprinkled with scriptures. Honestly, nearly anyone can do that. A coach of the local football team can do that. I'll supply him with a few scriptures and all of a sudden you have a preacher. No, you do not. A preacher must be a biblicist. He must let the book say what it says, let Jesus say what he said, and understanding that's what he meant. We see right now we are approaching our final destination. If you fly or have flown, you have stopovers, you know, and then sometimes the um, stewardess or maybe the captain will come on the microphone and say, we are now approaching our final destination. I've been quite a few places in my life, not everywhere, I'm not a world traveler, but I've been a few places around the world, around the states, different places. And they were all destinations, but none of them were final. But one day, God will call me home and that will be my final destination. I want to be found in a place where I'm serving with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength, everything, but nothing in reserve. There go, I had to give up a leisure trip, one I would have enjoyed. And I actually looked a little bit at the pictures and felt sad that I wasn't there. But then I said to myself, no, you made the right decision because you gotta be prepared when you come into this pulpit. And I consoled myself that way. And I'm saying to you, do the same thing. Duty first, duty to Christ comes first. And console yourself. If you have to turn away certain opportunities, that would take you either away from Christ, as many are now departing from the faith. Oh yeah, and they still say, oh, I'm a Christian, and we go through this whole thing. You don't know my heart. I don't even bother answering that anymore. Because you watch people's behavior, and you already know what they're all about. So why go further? Find the one. There's so many people out there. They want Christ. I'm meeting them in the marketplace. Let me ask you this, in all the years that you've been a Christian, how many people can you name that you personally have won to Christ? Let me tell you something that I do, and I'm asking you to follow my example. I could justify my evangelism because I'm on radio for 33 years and live streaming and television for so many years, and I can say, hey, I'm doing my part. But I don't stop there. I talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. 
I introduce Christ to them when they don't already come and ask me something maybe they saw or heard. Because I want to be a soul winner. I want to prove my ministry is not just one from a pulpit, which is the most important, by the way, but to talk one-on-one. I could be in a locker room. I could be, I could be sitting under a set of weights on a bench press or any place and invite people. Let me give you an example. I'm in Home Depot this past week looking for something that we needed for the house. And this young man, nice young man, I was asking him about some things. And he's taking me around the aisle and he's looking through his specs on his phone. And I looked at his name and began to talk to him a little bit. I'm on a mission. Now, the mission now is to get this job done for the house so I can get back out to the real mission. But these things have to be taken care of. I saw his name tag and I called him by his name. I said, thank you. And then I said, you know what? I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. He said, really? He said, my mother is the head of the Sunday school in Jamaica, not Jamaica, Queens, the island of Jamaica. You know what I said to him? This is what I said to him. Called him by his name. I said, let's call him John. His name is not John. I said, John, let me tell you something that I know. Your mother's been praying that you run into someone like me. And here, that's what I told him. And here I am. I didn't have my shirt and tie on. I didn't have my badge that says, I am a pastor. I don't know what I had on, but it wasn't decorative. T-shirt and sweatpants, probably, because I was coming from someplace else and running in the store. I said, your mother's been praying for you that you'll run into somebody like me. I said, and here I am, and I invited him out. He said, well, I'll come out. We'll see. I know where he works, so I can always go back. <laughs> and then he started to quote scripture. How do you baptize? And we went through this. You see, they're out there, and some of them have a knowledge of the Bible, but they're not prepared. And that's what I told them. I said, listen, listen, you better start going. Time is getting short. See, he knew these things. But if we get preoccupied with the mundane and the trivial, though they must be attended to. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. In this case, we've got a leak in the pool. So I've got two choices. Let the water run out or get under there and fix it. So there are mundane things that we have to do, but I'm not going to get preoccupied. And there is a young man who needs Christ. When he returns, you want to be found. You see, let me give you an example again from my life. I didn't become a pastor. It's not a job. It's who I am. I have blue eyes. I'm six feet tall. That's who I am. Many of you had careers and occupations that you retired from and you did well at your job and knew your trade. And that's what you did. When you have the Holy Spirit, it becomes who you are. Who you are. You are a follower of Christ. You are born again, sons of God. And all these terms we have in the New Testament. That's who you are. So wherever you go, whether you're in Home Depot or you're standing in front of a glass pulpit like me, you are a follower of Christ. And now we've got to get down to it. As the churches are closing and they're backsliding and preachers are compromising, we cannot. Like MacArthur said, I have pushed through. I shall return. We must return to the Lord and to his word Continually pray for preachers that they would preach the gospel and not a dress for success message or to tickle the ears, which we're told about that in Scripture too, tickling the ears of people who are unstable to begin with. Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. When he returns, going back to Pearl Harbor once again, the attack, as we know, December the 7th, 1941, was a surprise. Now, I want to say no one was expecting it, but there is information that it was known. There was warnings. Conspiracists say that the president actually knew it was going to be attacked, wanted it to be attacked. Then we'd be in World War II. I can't validate any of that. I don't know. I only know that it was attacked. 
And I also know that people like my father's brother, my uncle, was there. I know that many people died. I've been there and seen the Arizona still sunk and still leaking oil after all these years under the waters of Pearl Harbor. It was a surprise. And the Bible says that when Christ comes, many will be shocked. They'll be surprised. Let me add to that. There'll be many people in churches who have departed from the Bible, departed from the book, departed from the biblical Christ, and they will be shocked. Suddenly, the Bible says, and we read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1, now verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that they should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Suddenly, can't say it's without warning any more than those who seem to know can say that Pearl Harbor was not precisely without warning. I don't know, but I do know this. There's plenty of exhortation for 2,000 years now. Christ will return, and when he returns for his own, it will be pleasant. That was John 14. When he returns and those who have spurned him or thought that they could somehow change God into their own image, it will not be good. And that's the gospel. It may not be the crowd pleaser, but as I tell you, I already know my duty includes not trying to please people, but making sure I please God. And your life is designed not to please people, but to please God. It's a great thing when your life pleases God and people. Consider that a bonus. But your life was designed to please God only. If God is happy with you, you can be cheerful. You can distance yourself from things that you would have liked to have done, but just don't have the time because the time is short and things must get done and they must get done quickly. We see this. Coming of Christ will be a surprise. It will be a shock. But in my mind, the world has made it easy, I think. With all of the movies of uh, attacks from outer space and aliens coming and all of this, it really doesn't take much imagination any longer. May of 100, 200, 300 years ago, but not now. Computer technology, then our interest in the universe, and is there life out there, and all of this, is making the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, more, I'll say, palatable to the intellect. Oh yeah, there's still those who spurn and those who lampoon the belief of people like myself, but it hasn't disturbed my peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives it. I don't know. Don't raise your hand. You play the stock market. Some young person said to me the other day about being a day trader. I know day traders. A good friend is a day trader. That's no easy job. Constantly on your computer. Buy, sell, buy, sell. All day long. That's not for me. I'm not saying it's not for him. That's what he does. That's not for me. All day long. No, buy, sell. No. No. We've got to come to be able to see that we need to be deep people. If I were to ask you, 
Do you consider yourself deep or shallow? And again, don't answer. How would that read on your tombstone? What have you really focused on? Now, I'm giving it away for you. It's got to be Jesus. And then there's other things added to you. Matthew 6.33. But are you deep? You see, most people today, they're very shallow. With all of this information, a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there, a little here. But they don't master anything. Jack of all trades, master of none. But we must become a master of knowing Christ. So focused. And again, Matthew 6.33. What is it you need today? You come in here listening on the radio. What is your need? And you can list them. I have needs. We all do. But God said, Jesus said, if you seek the kingdom with your whole heart and you seek it first, everything that you need, every single thing you need will be supplied. And this is what I've seen in my own experience. No matter how desperate things look, God just keeps sending it. He cannot fail. He's God. People, listen, did you know the average person lives about five to seven years after they retire? I hope better for those of you that are retired. I really do. But that's the average. And I've seen it with my own eyes, people I knew, my father included, lived five years. So this statistic is pretty accurate. It's not infallible, but it's pretty accurate. And you realize people worked their whole life for retirement and got but a little window of time. And don't we know it? Then you get to the place where you're retired and all these things that you wanted to do, you don't have the energy. You're going to fly all over the world. You can't even get up out of bed. Every time you sit down, I say, oh, mm. I get up in the morning, I get up just like you see a bird get out of his nest. It's one foot stretch. Uh, then my dog is he's all over me, you know, and he's 100 pounds. Get off of me. And when you think about it, it makes much more sense to serve God and serve him now with all the heart, all the soul, all the... Stop thinking about retirement. I'm not saying don't retire. I'm not going to retire. And what you do, you do. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying stop planning for a period of life that's going to be this much. Plan for eternity. Plan for forever. And everything that you need will be added unto you while you're here. In the 20th chapter of Revelation, after he returns, there will be a creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Think of a pristine earth. Nothing wrong. Just like the Garden of Eden. Maybe better. Everything perfect. That's coming. That's coming. But not everyone shall take part in it. And I saw the dead. This is Revelation chapter 20. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. See these books here? This is the personal biography of every single person who's ever lived. The greatest majority of people on the planet now will never write their own biography, but God is. It's all recorded. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life. That's where you want to have your name. And when you do, when you're truly born again, everything about your life changes. It's not an immediate growth, but the priority and destination and direction changes. You know as well as I do, you have friends and family. They cannot figure out what do you do in church, as we used to say. 
for so long. I go to church. We're in and out in 20 minutes. I don't know what great work that's ever been done in history can get done in just a couple of minutes. I know nothing in nature grows like that. We need to understand the importance of seeking God with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. Everything laid out. And even if in the end we're judged by people who say he wasted his life, me. He wasted his life in that little town up there. He could have did this, he could have did that, he could have did this, he could have did that. Maybe so. But I know I have not wasted my life. I've been in the place where God sent me and will stay here until God says, go someplace else or come home. That much I know. What others are going to do, I don't know. But I know what I'm called to do. That, to me, causes me to put my head on the pillow nightly with an approving conscience and say, I've done my duty for this day. Lord, keep me during the night that I can get up again tomorrow and start all over again. Every day serving. Every day being what I was made to be. When you do, God will give you this inner witness, witness of his spirit, that will keep you in everything. And be careful who's called a Christian. I'm not even saying that you judge them. I'm just saying be careful. In other words, just walk your walk with the Lord. He is going to return. MacArthur was just a man. I shall return. I have returned. And we may be very, very close, maybe in our lifetime, to hearing Jesus say, I have returned. Wow. This communion supper that we have, I read it to you every week, right? We show his death till he come. And we read that Jesus has not drank of the fruit of the vine, but he's waiting. We weren't there at the Last Supper. His disciples were, 12. But we will be there at the next one. We will be there at the next one. How good, how pleasant is that going to be that day that in my mind just doesn't seem to be that far off? It really doesn't. I told someone just this week, a young man, I invited him out to the services as well. Been reading the Bible, always finds me and asks me questions about life, about God, about the Bible. And I told him, you know, I've been serving the Lord now for 44 years. And I told this young man, I said, I haven't regretted one day of it. There's been obstacles. There's been adversity. There's been disappointments. There's been depression. There's been anxiety. There's been all kinds of dangers and toils and snares. But I've never regretted a single day of serving Jesus Christ. Not one day. And never thought about, what if I should go back to Egypt? And I thank God that I already understand there's nothing back there. Well, there is, but nothing that I want. And I truly feel sorry for people who don't have what I have. I really mean that. And that includes some preachers, too, that have these big reputations and they've done a lot of this stuff. I can do that. I can. I actually can do that. But if it's a distraction from what I'm supposed to be doing by God's calling, I'm not going to do it. Where will you be? What will you be thinking? What will be on your mind when he returns? Surely we're seeing the signs, he said now, when you see these signs. I pray that you are in a position that you're in either a spirit of prayer. I took the verse literally when I read it many, many years ago, pray without ceasing. And so that's what I do. I just pray when I get up. I wake up in the middle of the night praying for people, praying for situations. I pray that you're in a spirit of prayer. That your mind is focused on deep work, becoming a person of depth, depth of character. 
and not a shallow individual who spouts out a lot of stuff. YouTubers, notorious for guys just going up there and just saying stuff. And I watch a few of them, I say, man, he's got a gift for baloney. <laughs> it's shallow. Christ will make you deep. Let's pray that we will be found in a place. We will be found at our post. Will you be found at your post, whatever it may be, when he returns? And will you be a soul winner? It doesn't mean that hundreds are going to come through your ministry, your life, but they may. But I asked you earlier, can you name individuals by name that you led personally to the Lord? And you want to have that on your resume when you die, before he returns. These are the people that I led to the Lord. Father, we just come before you today in Jesus' mighty name. Again, the strongest wall will crumble and fall to a mighty God. And this world is looking for answers, but they don't know where. They don't know who. I am the way, the truth, and the life, you said. Lord, today calls us to be people of depth. Help us not to be like a river that is a mile wide and an inch deep, but more like this mighty Hudson, one of the deepest rivers, the deepest river in the United States of America that can reach levels of 200 or more feet. Help us to be deep. Deep in prayer, deep in the word, deep in worship, a depth of character. God, today put away all these distractions that I know my brothers and sisters here, my friends, are facing just like I am. Shiny objects like the lure that fish bite on that has no substance to it at all, just hooks them. And I know many of my friends sitting here watching, listening, are being hooked by shining objects that have no eternal value. Oh, God calls us to be people who put you first. I mean, really first. Calls us to love you. Calls us to love people. Calls us to love one another. Today, oh God, we give you all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor. For you are truly great and greatly to be praised. Let's stand this morning and take the things that we've heard, read to heart. Remember, when you get up in the morning, and especially when you come to services, Sundays, Wednesdays, Friday night prayer. Have your heart be prepared. Prepare the heart. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 11. Prepare the heart. Prepare what you've got to do so that when the seed is wed or spoken, it falls on good ground and bears fruit. Another week comes and goes. Time spent, things that have been done cannot be undone. Things that were supposed to be done cannot now be done. But we have today and help us, God, to make today count and tomorrow, and whatever other days we have left. Again, God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor for everything that we have. In Jesus' mighty name, can we all say today, amen? Amen. 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 And amen.